Okay, welcome to a special locker room. Um, obviously, you know, myself and my wonderful co-host, Matthew, is here, is here every week speaking about sport. But we thought, well, you know, let's do a, a kind of um, special, a special program on women's sports because we like to cover every aspect of sports in the locker room. You know, that could be men's sports, disability sports, women's sports, LGBT um, sports as well. But um, we thought, no, we'll, we'll get Maureen back on the show and speak about women's sports because Maureen joined us uh, a way back at June again. Hi, Maureen. Hello, folks. How are you both? Yeah, not not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, it's nice to, nice to see you again. <laughs> if only Michael if only yeah, you must yeah. be you must, Maureen you must be mad coming on this show honestly <laughs> <laughs> it does help doesn't it I, well maybe <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> yeah I don't, I, I don't know if this is a, a sports show or a comedy show if, if you listen to me every week <laughs> listen we can all do with a laugh just now so I'll go for the comedy factor yeah, well, that's good. That's why me and Matthew is not in pantomime this year. In fact, there's no pantomimes uh, anyway. Um, so, Maureen, thanks for coming on the show. Um, can you tell us a wee bit about your, uh, first of all, before we dive into the women's sports in uh, detail, um, can you tell us a bit about your charity, Women, or, uh, women for Sport in Scotland? Yeah, certainly, certainly. Scottish Women in Sport um, launched in 2013, um, just following the sort of Commonwealth Games in 2012, when there was quite a lot of um, talk and discussion and debate about the inequality for women in sport. So I launched it then. Um, we're seven years down the line. We have um, delivered uh, some very interesting conferences and some very um, enjoyable dinners. We've looked at other things. We did a project on girls do sport working with the University of West of Scotland. And we've done uh, Women at Work. And next year, we're looking at a couple of things. We're looking at working with Sam H, the Scottish Association for Mental Health, for a mentorship programme for young sportswomen. Um, we're also going to work with Heart Research UK. Um, that should come out February 11th and March the 8th to mark International Women's Day of Science and International Women's Day. And we're also going to look at an inclusion report, which will give us baseline figures for the gender balance and leadership in sport. So that's where we've been and that's where we're going. Yeah, and uh, obviously we, we like to speak about women's sport on the show, Matthew, and we, we give it its place, whether it's football or, or boxing or golf, uh, over the past few months that, that, we're, that we're doing the show. So... You know, it's quite, it's quite good to highlight it on the show as well. Oh, it's perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, um, Maureen, I, I hope you don't mind. I was asking people to email in some questions, uh, and I've got one or two questions here. But I suppose, um, you know, start at the very beginning because of the, the coronavirus, and someone's emailed in, and said to us, um, how 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 has the funding kind of changed women's sport going forward um, during this coronavirus? Well, I think the problem 
has been the the lack of um, membership money. You know, you we've, we've been ten months without sports, so it's been quite difficult. I think also in terms of a lot of the sports where women play to come back and play, it's pretty expensive because the the regulations and and around what you can and can't do and how you must do your COVID tests, etc., are, are quite expensive. So. Uh, I think at the very start, the focus was on getting back professional sport. Um, and I, I think, you know, we, we kind of forgot that women's sport may not have that professional tag in, in terms of finance coming in, but what they deliver is professional. So it did take, I think, a quite a bit, a bit of debate with um, the powers that be to ensure that they um, were covered. And to be fair, I think just recently, there was a funding package put together to help sports that was consisting of some loans, but also some grants. But it's been a difficult time for sports, you know, um, not just in the finance side, in terms of the long term, you know, encouraging young women and young girls into sport. That's, you know, that's the lifeline going forward. And that has been broken this year. Yeah, I, I know it's a bit of a shame. I, I mean, obviously it happened right across the board, as you say, not just women's sport and men's sport as well. Um, Matthew, I, I know that um, you you know uh, a girl that plays for the women's hips team or hearts team. Oh, hearts team, yeah. Again, that right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were talking about Paige McAllister last week. Uh, they scored the winner for Hearts against Hibs. But um I suppose I'm I'm a father of three girls. Um and the eldest one is was involved in sport up until the age of 14, 15. She was really into it. She played rugby, she played Gaelic games, she played football, she played all of that. And then at the age of fifteen, uh she just obviously stopped. And I suppose that would be my worry and concern. And I know you touched on it just there, actually, Maureen, was that, you know, obviously men and women or girls and boys when they're at the right younger age seem to be quite equal in playing sport and PE and things like that. But then there's just all of a sudden at the age of 15, 16, there's a drop off um, with women actually playing sport. And while the men or the boys and men continue, the girls and women start to fall off. Is there any work being done to try and... Um, encourage girls and young women to continue in that trend because obviously when you watch sport at that level for young girls and women they're actually still quite good the, the level's quite high but like I said there's a fall off is, is there quite a lot of work being done to encourage young girls and women to continue in that trend and continue playing sports I think all sports governing bodies work very hard to retain their members and to encourage young girls it's, it's a, a problem that's perhaps not really at um, sports door. It's a society and a culture problem. Um, so we have to address that. You know, it's the perceptions perhaps of parents about the importance of women in sport coming up to exam times. You know, they may see that there's a future for their, their young boy in sport and they give support there. That might not happen in, in girls' sport. There's also the pressure in terms of um, the, the perception of, you know, young women being pretty and being nice and not getting dirty and muddy. And that's conveyed in a lot of things that they read in social media, in magazines, etc. Um, and there's also peer pressure from their friends. And also there's, there's pressure in terms of the body changes that young women go through at that age. So there's you know, a lot of things that, that sport have to take on board to retain these young members. Um, and I think they do an amazing job 
And what they've done during lockdown, you know, Scottish Athletics actually took on 150 new female members of the younger age group. So it can be done. And I think those barriers are breaking down and it takes parents like yourself to push your daughters, to encourage them and to support them. And I think we'll get a change in culture and that'll be benefit everyone. Do, do, do you feel as though that um, when you were speaking about my favourite word there more than about barriers as well to sport, do you feel as though that there's barriers getting kind of like broke down in a way that fans can have we came a, a long way uh, since you started up your charity and all that all these kind of years ago till now? Yeah, I think there's no doubt. I mean, there, there's things that are happening now that I would never have predicted to happen. So I wish to put a bit, couple of bob in it each way, you know, I think would have been <laughs> winning. But, um, you know, the, the things that happened, I never thought, working in football for 20 years, I never thought that our girls would get paid to play football. And if you look mm. down the, you know, the women's national team squad list, most of them are play, getting paid to play football. Unfortunately, most of them are playing outside Scotland because we don't really have the, the infrastructure and the finance to support it. But there are many different barriers breaking down. We see much more women on television, much more shows. We see a good balance in uh, the presenting you know, of sports uh, people, women and men. So, yeah, I think we've come a long way. That doesn't mean to say we're there yet. We have a long way to go because we, we came from, you know, baseline nothing. You know, what do you know of women's sport, the history of women's sport? People think it didn't happen years ago, but it did. You just didn't hear about it. Mm. And do, do you feel as though that uh, the, going back to the World Cup, I think it was last year, Maureen, or the year before, uh, Scotland was unlucky to, to, to not uh, qualify for the thing. But do you think that can help the women's sport overall in terms of, you, you know, um, look at the talented women and skill growth? Oh, women seem to be playing football, you, you know, and yeah. Yeah, believe it or not, it was just last year, you know, the, the World Cup in France and Scotland were there, which was great. They played their three games and um, I think we had a lot of expectation and that's a problem. You know, we jumped on the, the, the back of the women's national team because our men at that point were in, um, producing the goods. Um, and given it was the first time they're there, I think, you know, it was great to see them. They are great to perform. For me, yes, a little bit of luck would have made all the difference. But the experience these girls have will take them forward into the future. I mean, I know we're talking about the domestic um, football primarily at the moment, but how do you feel? Because I know Celtic and Rangers and Hearts and Hibs have obviously become a, bit, a lot more professional in the last few weeks. How do you find... Because I know Celtic, for example, they signed Anito, Anita Marcos from uh, Atletico Madrid on loan. How mm. do you find the foreign imports are actually helping the Scottish women game at, at grassroots level? Well, not being party of what um, the the debate in terms of what their contract is, do they have to give back to grassroots? I'm not sure. I think it's interesting. Um, you know, as I said before, it's quite difficult to to sustain our own. Scottish players, it would be good to see them having an opportunity to play in these bigger teams. I mean, it, it turns out to be something like the men's game when you're buying in players to win and you want to be there at you know, Champions League time. That, that's what that's all about. But it kind of flies in the face of getting our young girls in. Um, you know, so we, we're 
we're breeding the young girls, they're going elsewhere and we're buying in players from abroad. So there's there's something that, that could be done there. But I think anything that you can showcase that um, shows you the skill behind every elite sportswoman. And we have got some really extraordinary elite young sportswomen in Scotland that we forget about because, again, the media doesn't cover them. You know, Laura Muir is up there world class. Um, you know, we're going to talk about boxing. We've got Hannah Rankin. We've got Kirsten as well, Kirsten Fraser. Um, you know, we've got a great badminton player in Kirsty Gilmore. We, we have got females that are participating at a huge um, elite level. We just need to read about them and hear about them more and young girls will follow suit. I know that um, since we're speaking about football, we basically stick to football for a wee bit more. than. I know the last time you, you were on the show, uh, you, you gave us a good insight into Glasgow City, and obviously we'll touch upon Glasgow City in a moment, but are you still frustrated um, about women's sport not being a full-time sport? I think, you know, everything takes time, you know, and I think as long as we can see a regular progression, um, it'll take a collective, a collective journey in terms of getting, getting more money into women's sport. We, you know, we have to look at the marketing side. We have got to change people's opinions. We've got to have um, firms that are you know, willing to, to invest. It's an investment we're looking for to change this. And I think the time has come because I think we, we're looking for more from more from our sports people. You know, we look at um, what, what, what women in football do outside actually playing the game. They give a lot back to the community. They work hard. They're there signing their fans' um, autographs after every game. You know, there's a, there's a lot more community focus on what they do that doesn't take away from the skill level but when you're in that position and you have that opportunity um they take that opportunity and i think that makes all the difference the uh, glasgow city now morning uh obviously we were calling the show the, the day after so the, the night before they beat the they get beaten the, the champions league it was a big achievement for Glasgow City to, to get to uh, where they were playing against a, a fantastic team, spark a flag. But also looking at the league season more than it's been kind of, would you say it was a kind of up and down season so far? I think it's really difficult for Glasgow City. They have always punched above their weight. They, you know, that since they've been formed, they had an ambition and they've achieved that ambition over and over again. They've been... Uh, you know, in European football more so than any other um, women's team in Scotland. But as you said before, the likes of Rangers, Celtic, Hibs, Hearts, they're coming up now and they're vying for this position. So it does make it more difficult, particularly again, as you're bringing in plays from outside. And if you look at, a, you know, a game a couple of days ago, uh, Glasgow City lost 5 nothing to Rangers. That is just mm. unheard of. Um, but that's the way football goes. Um, and that's what progress does. It changes things. And and Matthew was saying earlier on about the Celtic manager, but I must say it's it's been good because he's got Booth involved in uh, Glasgow City and he's been there for about, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Morning, but I would imagine four or five seasons now. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I don't know the exact time either, Michael, but he has been there 
um, for, for quite a, a long time. I think he took over after Eddie Vilecki, who was mm. there for, gosh, I think 12, 12 seasons. Um, so, you know, it does say something about the club that they're retaining their manager and they're supporting the, the manager, um, no matter what the results are. And I suppose it's good to see men managing a women's team and, and kind of one day hopefully we'll see a women's manager um, managing a, a, a man's team. But, I mean, Sherry Kerr, was it? Did she not manage a, a, a men's team years ago, Maureen, um, uh-huh. down the prisons? Well, what I would say is that I, I don't know how good that is because we've got a lot of young women that are coming through. The women's mm. national team go through their coaching badges now. So we need to make space for them. You know, we're talking about role models earlier. If we can't see a role model in every aspect of sport, um, young girls aren't going to aspire to be there. So I would like to see more women leading more women's football. Whether they yeah. then want to go into the men's games, entirely up to them. But I think, you know, for me, I don't think it's it's a good thing. I would rather that we, you know, we put our women through their coaching badges. They were there at a standard and we gave them the opportunity. Plenty of teams out there in the, the men's world, so they should go there and, and try and, you know, get their jobs there. And if women do want to go there, you know, do they get the same opportunities as guys? I don't know. Shelley Kerr did very well, but Shelley Kerr's an exceptional coach. Mm-hmm. And an exceptional young woman. She has a, a great manner um, and deals with every situation exceptionally well. Um, and she was a first, I think. But, um, you know, she came back to women's footballs, but she broke the mould. Who knows mm-hmm. where it'll go from, from mm-hmm. now on. But, but I'd like to see more women in coaching positions, refereeing, doing all the other jobs. It's uh, strange how the unconscious bias accepts um, you know, women playing football, but forgets all the other ones on the periphery. It's, it reminds me of the debate about, you know, we were having this debate a few months ago about black managers and black coaches, and it's, mm. it strikes me that the similarities um, involved in both of them because it's, I mean, I think was it years ago when I was quite young, it seemed like I know this was the English game, but um, I, I finally a female lineswoman appeared. And everybody thought, well, this opened the floodgates finally to have a bit of a quality in that line of things. But then she becomes the exception rather than the rule. Um, yeah, and you had people like Karen Brady who became sort of owner or managing director of Birmingham City for a while. And you thought, well, hopefully this gives women a better opportunity in, in getting to the top level of football clubs and being able to manage them at director level. But again, Karen Brady, I know Anne Budges came on the scene since, but Karen Brady therefore seems like the exception so it's a shame we get these pioneer people coming in, women coming into the door and sort of opening the door a little bit but then the door seems to slam shut behind them it seems. I think it would be interesting to scratch the surface because there's more women involved in, in that type of position than we would perhaps know about, you know you've got Leanne Dempstead as well mm. <coughs> um, quite a lot of club secretaries a friend of mine, Karen Costello club secretary for Kilmarnock so, you know, as I say, and we said earlier, things are changing and we just have to make sure that the opportunities are given um, to the women and also given to the best person. But please try and understand that a woman um, is just as good as a man. You know, it's sometimes the decision is made on gender, not on skill. Having 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 all women in the house, Maureen, I think women are actually better at a lot of these decisions than men. To be perfectly honest with you, well, I'm glad you said it. it was on the tip of my tongue, but I don't want to be controversial. It is Christmas, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, for feeding to to be nice, Matthew. Uh, um, just uh, honest, just honest people, just honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like our show of the week. Uh, um, you're listening to Indie Live Radio on a um, Boxing Day special, um, where we're speaking to Maureen McGinnigal about women in sports. And uh, we, we were talking about football there, morning, but you, you mentioned an, an interesting thing a wee minute ago about role models in sports. Now, I've got to see over the past, what, two, two, two or a bit years, women uh, commentating or being pundits on the likes of sports scene and, and even Sky Sports um, as well. I'm thinking about Leanne Crichton and also Alex Scott down at Arsenal. Again, I think you would support that then to, you know, break down the barriers, you, you know, because it's like um, women can comment on things, you know, women can compete in different sports, women can it's not women can't do, they, they, they can do sports and, and uh, be a pundit. So that, that must be good to see as well. I think, uh, you know, for a long time, and we can go way back to Hazel Irvin days, and mm. Hazel broke the mould then, particularly with snooker and golf. Um, you know, so there, there, there have been women there and thereabouts. I think, you know, it, it's only recently perhaps where we see them as, as pundits as such, you know, giving giving opinions. Um, but um, yeah, I think everything like that is good and it does enable young girls to see. You know, the, the the phrase that we use all the time is you can't be what you can't see. And it's, you know, it's a very true phrase. It's actually yeah. one that Glasgow City put on their kit at one point. Um, so that's what we want to do, make it visible so young girls know they're welcome in that environment. And I know Matthew's been watching a lot of football on a Sunday on the, the BBC uh, website and behind the red button. That must be good to see as well, because for ages, uh, women's sports and kind of disability sports and other sports wasn't recognised in the kind of TV and the media as a whole. But now, like, you've got, um, what was it, last weekend, I think they had, like, two games uh, on a Sunday on the the uh, on the BBC red button. Now that must be good to see. I know like the 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 end goal for women's football is to see on BBC One and you know like um, you know even even the BBC Scotland channel. But I mean I I, I don't I, I think you would say that that's a good that's a good start for women's football to be on the TV. Well, they're all positive moves. I mean, Alba have been covering women's mm. football for quite a while in a Friday night. Um, social media allows a lot of the games to be live streamed. Um, so, yes, it is a good move. And what it does do is it goes back to what we're talking about investment. You know, when we can start seeing that women's football is covered by mainstream media, then there's more opportunity, you would hope, for um, sponsorship to come in and partnerships to be to be made and for a bit more money to be given into the sport. I mean, media is huge because, I mean, over here in Ireland, uh, the big games here are obviously Gaelic games, whether it's football or hurling, and the, the female or the women games here, I, I'm not saying obviously there's, there's similar problems in the sense that the, men games, the men's games are obviously... Um, 
a lot more higher profile. But what happened here was that RTE and TG Cahar, which is the main sort of TV carriers here, started showing the women games as much as the as the men games. And then in the last sort of five years, the, the finals that came up, whether it's Camogie, which is the hurling or football finals, they were getting crowds at Croke Park of up to forty to 50,000 people going into these games. Um, and that all came from people finally being able to see the games on the television. Um, yeah, and within a sort of equal equal um, amount as men. So getting the, getting the sort of women's game out in the media is, is huge for the profile. And you never know, within five, six years' time, you may well be getting seeing crowds, maybe not at 40,000, 50,000, but at least a lot larger than what you're seeing at the moment. Yeah, I think you're right. As, as I say, it encourages everyone to, to go out and see it. But I do think Ireland do kind of lead the way. You know, there's been a, quite a few instances where Ireland are just that step ahead of everyone else. So that's good to hear. Um, and look forward to that day coming to Scotland. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I do too, because I think like my you're right, because my girls look around and obviously, I mean, I'm goodness, I'm as guilty as anybody because I'll obviously watch a lot more male sports than female sports, so I'm equally guilty of it. But then their favourite players are men and they can't see the pathway. So to see you know female athletes being able to compete at that level, they can just see, you know, I can be, you know, mm. I can be one of them. I can be, well, I can be anyone, whether it's boxing or football or, um, well, here, football or hurling. You can see a pathway finally developing for people that you couldn't see before. So it's really, um, it's really positive. Um, it's really positive to see all round, and I can see it in my own girls. Maybe not the fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old, because now she's got a boyfriend, and I think I'm losing her fast to sport. But for the younger <laughs> ones, definitely, um, there's finally a pathway that they can see. And their favourite players for for Celtic are actually, you know, girl footballers, not men footballers, which is really good. It's great, and they've got posters up on the wall of. I know I mentioned Anita Marcos earlier on, and that's why because there's a poster of her, my daughter's um, wall, and it's it's great to see. Oh, it's brilliant, yeah. Yeah, I think it goes back to what Morden was saying earlier on, Matthew, and about role models as well. But you know, it's a, it's one of these kind of inconsistencies where I want to I want to take part in sport, but you know, but it's like when you see a female or a male or whatever doing it, then then you start kind of like believing that you can do it as well, you know. Yeah, I agree with you. And also, you know, we for, forgot to sort of touch on the sort of um, para-athletic side of it yeah. because, you know, we recently had our Scottish Women in Sport Awards dinner um, mm -hmm. and we had Kayla Hagel, um, cerebral palsy sufferer. She was our Scottish Women in Sport inspiration. And Tony Shaw, who is a para-swimmer, was our Young Sports Women of the Year. So, mm -hmm. you know, what we try to do is, is look upon everyone as if they have achieved in their own particular field, they've achieved. We don't set one field against the other. So our winners mm -hmm. came out being Kayleigh and Tony. And I think that's the way we should go as we move forward. And also, um, Sammy Kinghorn as well, more than, uh, yeah. you know, what when you're, when you're mentioning uh, um, wheelchair um athletics as well but yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of role models in disability sports yeah. I mean available. Sammy was our previous sportswoman of the year not mm -hmm. had a sportswoman of the year she was our sportswoman of the year um, mm -hmm. because she has achieved so much mm -hmm. yeah. I mean one 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 day um, 
you, you know, I think I've had this conversation with Matthew off air, but one day I would like to see, you know, labeling in sports. We're all one. You know, like, um, fans, we are talking about women's sports and dis- disabled sports as well, and that's okay, but one day I would like to see that, you know, that there's no labels getting put on, on people. They're just kind of, like, pa- um, participating in sports. Yeah, we would hope that we could change the culture around so many things, um, and I think we are hopeful for the future. There's so much good work going on, so... I've got a bit of hope for the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving on to boxing then, Maureen, you, you mentioned it early on. And uh, last year I was watching um, I was watching an a interesting documentary. And if you haven't watched it, anyone, I would recommend it on BBC iPlayer. Uh, well, it wouldn't be on the iPlayer now, but you, you could get it on other platforms as Cuskin Fraser. Um, see as the uh, Scotland's first professional boxer in Scotland. That must be a big thing for, for again, women's sports as well, to knock down the, the barriers, you know? Literally knock them down? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah we've, got a, you know, we've got a few. We've got uh, Kirsten Fraser and we've also got Hannah Rankin. So, uh, you know, again, both participating at the elite level in their sport. Um, and uh, good luck to them, and uh, great role models, both of them. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a difficult one boxing because you don't know, you know, there's there's always the danger that you don't hold on to your title for very long. But mm. um, you know, I know Hannah came back this year and, and tried to regain hers, it wasn't to be. But um, yeah, they're, they're both, um, as I say, amazing young women. And, and, and the thing is, as well, they both hold down other jobs, which I think mm. is fascinating. And, you know, while Kirsten's in a more sort of scientific role, Hannah's actually a, a bassoonist, a professional bassoonist. Oh, so yeah. um, <laughs> there's a contradiction in terms straight away. Was yeah. It, was, yeah. Her, was that right? Was Hannah Rankin? She was the first, that Scotland's first ever female boxing champion, wasn't she? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think she yeah. was, yes. Yeah. Um, she, I think it was 2018. All these years are rolling into one now, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. you just forget now this uh, this year that we've had, 2020. Um, no, I think it was 2019. I'm forgetting we're leaving 2020, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But, I mean, she's ranked as the fourth best um, middleweight. Um, Hannah Rankin is. Yeah. I mean, what, what I liked about that documentary, Morgan, was I, I don't know if you saw it or, or Matthew, maybe, maybe didn't see it because Matthew's kind of like outside of Scotland or the UK or, or you know whatever. I don't know what the PC bug for that now. Matthew. I'm in a I'm in an independent country at the moment, which I, I, I think you should be jealous of. It's well. a, you, it's okay. You can see that on that indie, independent radio station. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you managed to see that documentary morning, but I was interesting because. It took her to her day job as well, and uh, you know, like all, all the kind of obstacles that that she was facing with her partner as well. And it was a, uh, I mean, I love watching documentaries, you know, things that you don't see on camera as well. And I feel as though that was important to to for people to see as well, you know. Yes, I think it's to see the whole lifestyle, understand the challenges, the passion, and the commitment 
that individuals have to break down the barriers and, and to to be a success in their chosen sport, it's uh, it is always quite inspiring. And and also you, you had um give us a quick word, Maureen, about um Mick the Agams uh, competing on Strictly Come Dancing this year. And um I, I wanted your views very quickly on this about um about see the fuse to dance with a, a male a dancer and the only way that she would be dancing and competing on the show if she was dancing with a, a female on the programme what, what's your kind of take on that? Well I think it's down to everyone to set their own agenda if that's what she wants mm. to do and she put it forward and they accepted it fair enough um, I don't see the problem um, dancing with a male or a female uh, whichever makes good television and keeps us um, keeps us entertained, particularly during 2020. Yeah, yeah. I know, I suppose, do you know, I suppose as well, it just brings up all these questions, though, that people should be asking themselves and, and almost normalising that people have their own choices, you know? Yeah. So, you know, if she, if she feels that she would rather dance with a female rather than a male, and that's her own personal opinion, and she's not treading on anyone's toes doing it, or she's not offending anyone doing it, then, you know, so be it, then. I, th- I think that's that's probably a fair comment. I think the problem is that some people are offended by things that they don't they don't have any insight to. So you know, in a way, you know, again, she's breaking down barriers. I was speaking about you know her own sort of thought process on that. If that's what she wanted to do, and she was determined, that's what she wanted to do. But again, as you're saying, it's about young people looking at it and normalising it and saying, well, you know, it's okay for me then as well. And I think that's important because young people have to understand we're all different, but strangely enough, we're all the same um, and it's okay. One, one of the one of the other, um, as I say, we, we've got a few questions more than, but one, one of the other questions I picked was, um, just came in the other day about the, um, I think it was last week it came out, um, about dementia or football <clears throat> or whatever sports, if you had had the head of the ball, um, and it, <clears throat> and it um, coincides with women's sports as well. So, I guess one kid, um, that the person gives email again and said, Can you ask Maureen's uh, kind of like opinion on that? So, I don't know what's your can kind of take on that and I suppose that when we were talking about boxing as well there I think it would um, take into boxing as well you know. I think what we have to do is ensure the safety of participants so you know if there's things we can do to minimise um, the perceived problems at the moment until we've got the full scientific um results available then we should do it i think there's more and more people being aware of of what's happening in their life may have been something that was attributed to the sport they played um and we have got to make sure um that that is um that's something that we take recognition of yeah because yeah. it's a shame that i mean this almost sounds like i mean it happened in america obviously with the nfl and it's happening obviously in football and it's just so sad that it takes it, it takes an incident or it takes some somebody getting ill, seriously ill, possibly passing away for people to, and take then taking it to court almost for people to make change. So it would be good to finally get ahead 
uh, of the game almost and finally um, use the medical input that we've got to make changes in sport to make it safer for everybody. I mean, I think there are constantly changes being made. You know, we look at boxing, you know, in, in terms of women's boxing, they do, um, I think they do fewer minutes per round and less rounds. And, and that's not a decision that was made because there were women. It's a decision made, I believe, because the science said um, that it affects women more so than it does men. But we look at football as well. I believe that they, you know, the SFA made the decision for the younger group not to be training heading the ball so there are ways you can mitigate at the moment um, and I think we should always do that because you know <clears throat> once it becomes as you say something that two or three people have got in common it's too late to change it for them so let's start looking at it now and make sure no one else has to to have you know suffer through the enjoyment of playing their sport. Um, so the yeah, I mean, obviously, I think we'll come back to this kind of issue because it's not going to go away because, you know, it's been heavily involved in men's sports for me, well, the likes of Billy McNeil and all, all the other greats of the game um, getting dementia as well. And, um, you, you know, um, I suppose that we, we need to highlight it more in, in the media and, and then more people will, like, come out and speak about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um so wasn't there and, a film recently about Will Smith was in it and it was about an NFL player who obviously developed uh, a really sort of chronic um, head injury that eventually led to him uh, sadly committing suicide and obviously that went to court and the NFL made changes in regards to that but then I think Will Smith's film kind of highlighted it to everybody about the dangers of concussion in sport and that's men or women mm. or anybody you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Maureen, I wanted to kind of change tack, as it were, for a wee minute or two, um, about um, curling. Uh, obviously, that's a big sport in Scotland. I don't know if it's so big of an island, Matthew. <laughs> Do you know, yeah. I was talking about curling only a few days ago, and they oh, didn't right. know what it was. In fact, in fact, they were laughing about the idea of curling, and I was like, no, it's actually a real sport. It's quite popular. Yeah. And they didn't yeah. believe me. So. Yeah. Um, so, no, I just wanted to ask you, I don't know if you, you saw this, Matthew, as well, that um, it's come out this week that um, men's teams will play against women's teams in a new tournament. And again, it's going back to barriers and breaking down the barriers how many times have I been mentioning that uh, during the show um, but do you think that's a good thing for the game modeling to mix sports up and for women's teams to play men's sport uh, teams and vice versa not necessarily I, I, you know from what I can um, glean from this tournament I think it's there uh, in terms of giving teams the opportunity to to cuddle during COVID when they can't travel, there's you know there's been a lot of competitions. I I believe that um, teams flew out to Canada only to find out that the game had been cancelled or the tournament had been cancelled. So <coughs> so I think what this does is it gives them internally an opportunity to play um, curling, um, not having to travel, and it could be successful. I think there are certain sports that can command that, but I don't think it's I don't think young girls go into play sport and hope that eventually they'll play against men. They want to play against other women. They want to play against, you know, their peers, even at the younger age. Um, so I think it'll be interesting. It, 
will get a bit of um, coverage. It's obviously going to be on the red button on BBC. But I don't think that's why they went into Carling to eventually play against men mm. and vice versa for men. Yeah, Mavia. Um, I mean, I've kind of feel similar. I mean, I don't, I don't mm. see any reason why they shouldn't play against men, um, especially in curling. I suppose. I mean, I, I know in other sports it can be a bit more medicalized in the sense that you know what the differential between body types and all that kind of stuff that I don't fully understand to fully be able to make a comment on. Um, but I know there's those issues. But curling, I suppose, there is an opportunity for men and women to play against each other in in this environment. But again. Like Maureen says, you know, I don't think anybody really goes into sport to specifically play against other genders or any teams or anything like that. I think they go into it to enjoy it just for what it is. So, mm. you know, if it if it works, then I think it's a positive thing. I don't think it's a negative thing. But yeah, um, I suppose we could just see how it goes. But there's no reason why um, it can't happen in other sports if it if it's if it's possible for for it to happen but um, there's not a need for it I don't think there should be a definite need for it I think it's just evolved naturally if it is going to evolve mm-hmm. Well um, I've got to say thanks to Maureen for giving up her time and uh, giving us an insight into women's sports it's been fascinating because obviously we, we speak about women's sports every week whether it's Glasgow City or other sports as well but we, we haven't like, dedicated a full show to women's sports um, before so that, that was that was good for Morley to um, take, take out um, some of our Busy, busy time, because <laughs> I know you're a busy um, person with, with the, the sport. So I would just like to thank Maureen for, for coming on the show. And I think we'll speak to you hope, uh, next year. And hopefully next year, is well, next year is going to be a better year for everyone, let's hope. But it's going to be a busy uh, year. <laughs> it could be any worse, Michael, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank, you for, <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. Um, always great to chat about women's sport and I uh, hope both of you guys uh, have enjoyed and will continue to enjoy a good festive season Maureen, it's yeah. nice to have someone who knows what they're talking about Thank you anyway <laughs> Well, we all seen Matthews in Ireland when they've seen that but uh, yeah, so uh, have a good new year everyone and we'll speak to you in the new year um, on uh, End of Life Radio but thanks again Maureen and we'll speak to you soon Thank you. Thanks Thanks, bye